it didn't work. You know, we decided not to move forward with that idea. So yeah, that was the house uh, and the savings gone. Oh, wow. We actually sat around and went, oh my God, we've just lost everything. It's not working. We've got to make a decision. What do we do? We're out of money. So how do you get money? So we basically went, oh, well, we can just borrow some money <laughs> and keep going. Uh, did it work? No. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Yaro's Podcast, where you'll discover the stories behind world-class performers, business builders, and enlightened leaders. Hello, this is Yaro, and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey podcast, or really a great origin story of someone who I've been in touch with for a long time now. I was actually trying to rack my brains how my guest and I first met. I remember things we did in Australia because <laughs> they were a lot of fun going to things like fashion shows. And, but I can't exactly remember our first connection. So I'd like to welcome Danielle Lewis to the show, who's the founder of Scrunch right now, which is a social influencer platform and also a mix of an agency. Looking forward to talk about those two different sides of her company. But, but long before Scrunch happened, we've known each other. We bumped into each other in San Francisco, in Australia. Danielle, do you remember how we met? Can you <laughs> go back in time? And Well, thank you firstly for having me. It's very exciting to actually be on the side of the show now after I've been stalking you online for so long. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what? I almost think that's how it was that you were. So I, you know, started my online journey with a blog right. and I have a feeling that you were one of you know the people that I followed online all the way back when god it's maybe like 15 years ago when I started that blog and I think maybe we just connected online first and then realized that we were actually living in the same city at mm. one stage and that's yeah so the online became in real life Remind me, was blogging your your first thing that we connected on? Like, I feel like you've had your hands in different businesses. I know fashion has been a thing. Now you're in social media. But for some reason, I feel like there's more that you had going. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, the the, yeah, blogging, I think, was the first way in which we met. So I had a uh, blog in Brisbane called Brisbane Threads, um, which has been around for a very long time. But you're right, over the journey that we've known each other, I mean, even Scrunch as a business, which is what I'm known for now, went through, you know, three or four major pivots. Mm. So, you know, I'm sure each time I talk to people, I'm probably talking about something else. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think blogging was the first thing that we connected over. Okay. I think it's because we talk every two or three years. So naturally, there's a lot happening every time. And I feel like you've had an app at some point, although I definitely get the feeling that Scrunch has been around for a while. It's, you know, a solid business. You guys are, are really building something great there. So I'd love to talk about that. But let's briefly go back in time as we do on my show, uh, Danielle. And are you born and raised in Brisbane? Yeah, absolutely. So I've done lots of travel in my life, but always come home to sunny Brisbane. Okay, so born and raised in Brisbane. For those who don't know, I was born and raised in Brisbane too, although Danielle has the proper accent for Brisbane. I don't. Yes. <laughs> I, have the, I have the Canadian one. Now, Brisbane, I know 
growing up for me wasn't exactly a hotbed of entrepreneurial passion and influence. I can't remember, you know, really being overly exposed to business ideas and people doing businesses, I guess, unless I actively sought out books or obviously looked maybe to not even Sydney, but really to overseas. So when you were growing up, did you have any kind of entrepreneurial influence or did you just kind of naturally do your own thing? Or were you, or were you really just a career girl? You were kind of going to go to university, get a job and all that as the original plan. Yeah. So I was a total career girl. Okay. So I grew up in a family that was, you know, mom and dad worked in the same job for like 30 plus years. I didn't know anything about starting a business. I didn't know you could start a business. <laughs> and, you know, I just, you know, did well in school, went to university. You know, as crazy as it got was the fact that I studied fashion because that's what I was most passionate about then. But as I was studying, I um, ended up getting a full-time job at Telstra and, yeah, became a total corporate um, ladder climber. So I um, was there for 10 years in sales. So I worked my way up the ranks and absolutely, you know, value that time. But it's funny that you talk about seeking out books because that's exactly what I did as well. So I don't even remember how I stumbled upon it, but it was, and it's so corny, <laughs> but it's, the you know, the four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss. You probably did a review of it or something. <laughs> and I read that book and I was like, oh my God, you're telling me that you're actually allowed to design this magical life that you want and you can start a business and you can do all of those things. And yeah, it was at that point that I just became absolutely obsessed with online businesses. Wow, I didn't realize uh, I keep, I always, Telstra and Tesla now, I get confused between the two since I left Australia. <laughs> but for those who don't know, Telstra is a, a telco, a big telephone and internet company in Australia. So your background then, were you, like you said it was sales. So, yes. you know, when you came across the four hour work week and you started thinking internet business, were you thinking, is there something I can take from my current or my background now of a decade working in a company and start a new business? Or was it really, I have a totally different interest and I want to follow that? kind of path? Yeah, so I was not that clever. I only <laughs> I only became attuned to my skills much later in my online business journey. So back then, I, you know, basically after reading that book, I kind of looked at where I was and I'd studied fashion and being, you know, working in sales, I obviously didn't get to kind of um, have that creative outlet. So for me at the time, I did what every girl did back then and I started a fashion blog. <laughs> and so then I became obsessed with how to monetize that through um, online advertising and you know, we ran these cool sales and we didn't get into the sponsorships realm like traditional influencers kind of do now. At that time, it was all around like, you know, building products and, and attracting an audience and, and that type of thing. But yeah, it's, um, it certainly didn't start out with me realizing that I had an amazing sales talent or appreciating the fact that I'd been working on that sort of skill for the last 10 mm -hmm. years. It was kind of just total experimentation. I just became obsessed with looking at what everybody else was doing online and, and trying to figure out how you could actually replace a full-time job with an online business. Right. And that's what led to registering BrisbaneThreads.com with the plan to cover fashion in Australia was, or even just Brisbane? Was that the goal? Yeah, so the very original idea was basically looking at celebrity trends and outfits and then figuring out how you could get the look in Brisbane. So if you wanted to wear something similar to your favorite celebrity or whatever. And then it kind of morphed as my interests changed. So I became less and less interested in fashion and um, more interested in, you know, things like food and travel. And so... 
Brisbane Threads then evolved into covering kind of like fashion, food, travel, and like amazing people in Brisbane. So we blogged about that for a little while. And the plan was to take over the whole of Australia. So have like Perth Threads, Adelaide Threads, Sydney Threads, and, you know, become a giant conglomerate (laughs) in the blogging space. But yeah, but that kind of didn't happen because when, as I was starting to sell advertising on the blog, I met my co-founder of Scrunch and that was about 10 years ago. So that kind of kiboshed Brisbane threads because Scrunch absolutely took over. Mm. I feel like there's a definite, uh, for lack of a a better word here, thread between Brisbane threads and Scrunch. (laughs) Obviously there's an overlap in, you know, it's media. You are no doubt interacting with influencers through Brisbane Threads. So you would have been exposed to this uh, concept of an individual personal brand having a sway over an audience and then being able to monetize that by connecting them with brands. Probably that was your kind of goal with Brisbane Threads, Sydney Threads, Perth Threads as well on some level, like swapping the audience for, for advertising. Can you maybe explain, like, I'm actually kind of want to step back, take a step back as well, because obviously Brisbane Threads is a large chunk of your life and you must have learned a lot from that that eventually also led to what came next. So without talking about Brisbane Threads for the entire podcast, can you maybe highlight, (laughs) you know, what did you take away that worked well with Brisbane Threads and what did not work that you wanted to change and may have led to what you did with Scrunch? Mm. So back then, everything was really about experimentation and, you know, a big part of our traffic came from social media and you could, you could really hack social media back then. It was really easy to build a following online and so I just became obsessed with, you know, all of those little tactics to growing a following, growing an email list and I think that's where my passion for marketing kind of started. So I I had a sales background, which is very much a face-to-face, you know, understanding people, connecting, building relationships. And when I moved into online, it's I then became really interested in the marketing side of the business and how to connect with people in the digital realm rather than in the real life. So yeah, for me, it was just about learning, well, it was learning marketing and how to build a business, but then starting to learn, I guess, yeah, I guess, key business factors as well. So, you sort of, when you start a a small business, you kind of wear every hat. So, you have to understand invoicing, you have to understand how to price your services. You know, I learned a few lessons on being kind of taken for a ride for some of the jobs that we did. But, you know, but at the time, it was kind of like that was the experience. And that's how you found out that you weren't charging enough or you were charging too much is is by actually, you know, executing on that deal and, and learning the lesson the hard way. I also learned that it was a giant hustle. So at that time, I was actually still working at Telstra. So I was starting to build it on the side. And yeah, so the idea of the fact that a small business was not going to be a nine to five replacement, it was going to be a every minute of your life replacement (laughs) was the first time I learned that lesson as well. Wow. Okay. So, you know, hearing that, it's like, hmm, maybe you don't want to start another business and you should stick to a nine to five. It almost sounds like it's easier on some level. Was there anything in between Brisbane Threads and Scrunch or was it a a fairly, you know, smooth transition? Yeah, it was a fairly smooth transition. So I held on to Brisbane Threads for a little while and, you know, still kept working on it because it's kind of, it was kind of my baby, you know, it was the first thing that I created. And so I kind of held on for it for a while and tried to juggle Christian Threads, starting Scrunch and working at Telstra. And I probably did that for a couple of years. And my co-founder at the time was pretty, 
vocal about the fact that having three businesses or three, you know, life passions was probably not sustainable. And he was right. <laughs> and so at one stage, I decided to let Brisbane Threads go. And then, of course, when, when Scrunch started to take on um, external funding, I had to let the full-time job go as well. So, right. so, yeah, it's kind of always been a bit of an evolution. So to tell us, what, what exactly was the idea for Scrunch originally? Where did it come from? Yeah, so, and it's funny because, you know, we talk about, did I transfer the sales skills and build Bruce and Threads? And I was like, no, I didn't really understand what I had at the time. It was kind of the same with Scrunch. So we didn't start out as an influencer marketing company. Scrunch actually started out in a completely random space, the virtual change room space. So my experience at the time was in fashion. Um, I had that fashion degree and my co-founder was in fashion retail and we decided that we wanted to build an online hub for fashion designers, photographers, models, and then build this virtual change room where people could actually try virtually try on clothes before they shopped online. Wow. There's about a 25% return rate in online shopping. And we thought that we would be the ones to solve that problem through 3D technology. And yeah, so to render and simulate a 3D garment online 10 years ago was not there. The technology was not there. Yes, it was very ambitious. Being two non-technical co-founders, we thought, why don't we build the most technical thing we can think of? And it didn't end well. (laughs) um, We had ended up building a 2D and then a 3D prototype. But at the end of the day, we realized that it was a giant commercialization R&D project that would require millions and millions in funding and probably several years. So we decided to make our first pivot. Okay, pivot one. So just to clarify, did you have any finance at this point? Were you raising capital or not? No. So right at that moment in time, we I had been, you know, because I was a good corporate ladder climber, I had been saving for a house. So I used the deposit on my house or my imaginary house that I was going to buy. Um, and my co-founder at the time used his savings and we engaged a digital agency to help us build the first version of Scrunch. Wow. Well, all in, huh? That's, that's very um, scary, if nothing else, right? <laughs> I know. Fortunately, I was a little bit younger and stupider, so I was not, I was very risk tolerant at the time. Yeah, but I mean, it was a bit of an eye opener because it didn't work. You know, we we decided not to move forward with with that idea. So yeah, that was the the house and the savings gone oh, for wow. stage. So mm. how did you manage to you know not just come up with the pivot, but emotionally? handle pivoting because you know my gut reaction would be like okay maybe i should go back to the job have a steady income and i've got no savings now i might be a bit depressed Uh, you know where's the energy coming for something else like how did you continue to to move on as all good entrepreneurs do in the face of adversity (laughs) danielle yeah yeah it's really interesting i think because i was this was kind of my first foray into technology startup so i guess brisbane threads was the first online business but it was so it was very low risk you know it's you can host a a website for twenty dollars you know that's about the, the risk that you're taking And yeah, with Scrunch, it was the first time that we really had to invest in technology, in staff and, you know, people that we didn't have the skill set to obviously build a 3D product. Um, So it was, I guess, our first foray into tech startups and all of the good things that come along with that. But again, because we were a little bit naive at the time, 
we were still just really hungry to make something work. And the pivot didn't feel like a, a moment in time where we actually sat around and went, oh, my God, we've just lost everything. It's not working. We've got to, we've got to make a decision. What do we do? We've always been the types of people that are just, just look far enough ahead to make the next decision. So at the time, we fortunately, we'd been building a almost like a discovery engine to house the 3D technology on. And the, the kind of decision was, well, this 3D product isn't working. Let's sort of close that down and focus all of our attention on this discovery platform, which was kind of like a social network for fashion. We were aggregating the world's top fashion bloggers and processing all of the text in their articles to determine the brands and products that they were talking about. And yeah, so we kind of, the, the idea of, you know, it was definitely a pivot and we definitely decided to close down one side of the business and focus on another, but it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like this kind of crazy moment in time. We just kind of went, well, that bit's not working. Let's double down on this and shit, we're out of money. So how do you get money? And back then, you know, our next kind of best bet was credit cards and personal loans. Okay. So, we so we basically went, oh, well, we can just borrow some money. <laughs> And keep going. Yikes. Okay. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So you did? We did. So we basically just, yeah, both went out and got personal loans and a, cup, a credit card each and went, cool, we can keep going. This is this is good. We're all good. We're all good. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like I might have seen one of these early versions, but going back to this pivot, and especially because you're getting loans out, do you see a path to income? from it like at that point or was it more a case of because it sounds like you're building almost like a platform and that often means you're not making money until you build up enough of a an audience you know for network effects and so on so what what were you seeing as your path out of the hole that you seem to be digging yourselves into financially (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly so i know and this is kind of you know almost spoiler on the next pivot but because it was a social network it was really yeah it was that kind of audience or revenue first kind of predicament that we found ourselves in so we looked at the platform and we went okay well we can make money in a couple of ways you know we can have affiliate revenue because we've got all of these articles and all of these products or we can do advertising revenue but we don't have the eyeballs yet you know so we were frantically trying to get people to log in like sign up so we can get their email address and start you know getting our, our daily views up and all that kind of stuff but it was also the moment in time that we kind of realized that we'd picked a business model that potentially we weren't that excited about as well oh wow okay so i'm a little Curious about the nuts and bolts of this. Maybe take us forward. So you you have this tech, and then do you do you go out there and just try and tell people about it to get them to sign up, so that you'll actually have an audience to make money? Is that what you do? Yeah, that's exactly what we did. So we we had two strategies. So we ran influencer events. So that was kind of this first inkling of around influencers. Um, so we had a little event where we would announce what Scrunch was all about and, and you know, then follow that up with a little um, email and, and ask them to sort of log in and create their profiles because um, there was functionality kind of like social media, almost like Pinterest at the time where you could um, like save your favorite articles and create, you know, this beautiful profile page for yourself. Uh, and then it was all about the uh, blog articles that we featured. So getting the article owner that we had featured, so the blogger, to you know create their own profile and, and talk about how they'd been featured on the top 99 charts of Scrunch. 
And yeah, it was kind of, it was really difficult. It was, um, you know, a lot more difficult to build an audience on a platform than it was that we had found to build, say, a social media following. And yeah, so it was kind of, we were starting to look at that and, go, and kind of go, okay, well, a B2C play right now just doesn't seem that smart or that exciting. And how can we use the technology that we already have to potentially build more of a B2B offering? And that is cue to next pivot. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Keep going forward. I love how many pivots you guys are doing. You've got yeah. <laughs> you got chutzpah, Danielle. So what happened next? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so so we we looked at the technology that we had and so what we were doing is we were aggregating world's top blog content and pulling out the brands and products that were featured because the idea was you would take that product and you would dress your virtual model and then shop online. So then the virtual model goes away and now we just have these blog articles that pull out these brands and products that you can discover. So we're calling it this discovery platform. And now we're going, okay, well, what we want is really a, an avenue to sell a subscription service to a brand. What do we have? Actually, we know a lot about their products. And so we kind of then started to reflect on our own experience in the fashion space. And one of the key things that interested us at the time was that a brand might have, say they have 50 online stockers. And if they wanted to know where their stock levels were at with any of those stockers to try and sell more product, they would actually pick up the phone and make 50 phone calls. Okay. And we were kind of like, well, hang on a second, we can just tell them. So because we were, at the time, we were scraping e-commerce sites to get the product information, we were like, well, actually, we can tell them that information. So we built a dashboard that listed all of their products and all of their online stores and put their stock status. So if they're in stock, out of stock, if they were on sale. Um, so as a brand, you could come to this really simple dashboard and literally within seconds find out which stores were out of stock of your items. So you could make two phone calls and try and make sales rather than make 50 phone calls. So just to clarify, because the key thing you were doing there was actually collecting all the data by scraping all the retailers, because you needed to do that anyway for your your engine for to, just to show content. And then you knew the inventory of all these different websites because of that research. And then you could then sell that to the actual suppliers of those products. Have I got that right? Exactly. Yeah. So it was kind of a moment in time where we actually started to think about what we were doing in a more of a commercial sense and, and yeah, realized that we had a, access to a lot of data that could potentially be valuable to brands. Okay. So I know because I've spent a lot of time selling to consumers, but when you switch to business, B2B, as you're saying, it's a whole different type of selling, right? Like the you're going to maybe look for bigger deals, but there's a, a longer lead time and presentations, negotiation. It's not just like, here's a product, buy it online. Was that what you then faced? I'm, I'm assuming because you have the sales background too, you, you maybe you're more familiar with that. Yeah. And that's sort of probably where I was more comfortable was actually picking up the phone and, and creating, you know, going and actually talking to someone about what we had. So the idea of moving into that felt a lot more tangible to me. It kind of felt a little bit more within our control rather than the building of the audience and then trying to sell to advertising. So the actual advertising world um, was something that kind of mystified us a little bit. We kind of knew how to build an audience, knew that it was going to be a lot of work, but didn't really know how to tap into advertising spend as much. So then the idea of moving to B2B where we could just, you know, create a list of brands, find and create value and then go and talk to them and build a relationship. Yeah, it felt a lot more comfortable to me. Uh, did it work? 
No. <laughs> <laughs> So this is the moment in time where we learn to not build things before you talk to your customers. So we went out to try and sell it and the fashion industry back then was a lot more reliant on free interns. So at the time, they said, well, why would I pay for this dashboard when I can just get a free intern to make the 50 phone calls and sell the product that way? So it was a huge eye-opener for us. And, and it is really interesting because these kind of products now exist. So there are dashboards for inventory tracking and stock tracking now in, in, <laughs> in time. But okay. back then, uh, when free interns were kind of a little bit more prevalent in the fashion industry, now you can get in a bit of trouble if you use free interns. But yeah, so it was kind of just the wrong time. I think it was a really great idea, but we didn't talk to our customers first and that was the biggest lesson or biggest kick in the bum that we learned was that, yeah, don't spend money building technology if you don't know that your consumer actually wants to, to buy it. Now, this sounds like many years of your life already we've covered before we've hit on the scrunch that starts to work. And were you still working your job because you were going into debt? So is that how you were kind of keeping the finances going, you know, personally? Yeah. So up until around this point, I had been working as well, but it was I think it was around now that we started to bring on external investment. So just as we were moving into this inventory dashboard and then just starting to do, so there's a little influencer marketing and media monitoring kind of comes next, thank God, in this story. Okay. But yes, this is now the time where we're taking on external funding. So this was the moment where I had been working. So I was I had a paycheck coming in to start to, you know, to be able to pay off those loans and to keep things going. But it was also the time that I had to stop that job because we were going for external funding. And if you do that, they want you all in. Tell me about that. So what were you pitching and who did you pitch it to? Did you head off? I know we met in San Francisco. Was that when you were like pitching or was that after that? Yeah, I, I think that might have been. It definitely this. I'm just trying to remember how long that was ago. It feels who knows at least how five long years ago. ago. At least five years ago, because yeah. I was in San Fran in, in five years ago. So, yeah, this must have been around the first time that we were pitching for funding because the scrunch as we know it now is is about five years old. So the first five years was kind of this crazy. Oh my god, what are we doing? Trying new things, learning all the lessons the hard way, and then we kind of got our stuff together mm-hmm. and yeah so that was when we were probably were first looking for funding and we looked anywhere and everywhere we literally had no idea what we were doing we were googling how to raise funds <laughs> you know how to write a pitch deck uh, all that kind of stuff so at one stage we did have a friend who was kind of connected into the u.s scene if you will um so they were amazing and kind of shopped us around to a few different people but ultimately that well, that whole US trip was fairly fruitless and we ended up raising all of our capital back in Australia. And that's unusual. How did you do that? Yeah, so we ended up doing something that I would not recommend, but we'd gotten so much bad advice and we were kind of actually really, really running out of funds. And so we connected with a, uh, a broker who essentially could introduce you to investors at the time and they took basically a very large lack of money to create your investment memorandum or your offer document and introduce you to a bunch of investors. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of 
you know, not something I'd recommend doing now, but a decision we made at the time because we just didn't know who to go to. I kind of say to people, you know, at the time, I didn't know someone that could lend me $100, let alone invest $100,000 in my business. So we just really had no idea who to go to and we were just really coming up stuck. And I think, you know, to your point earlier, the scene in Brisbane was very quiet back then. There was nothing going on in the startup space in Brisbane and that's kind of where we were from. And yeah, we were having no luck. So we connected with a broker down in Melbourne, I think. And yeah, then got sort of shopped around to Sydney and Melbourne investors. And fortunately, we had um, a couple of people say yes. Okay. So I'm guessing these are angels, right? So you're talking sort of six yeah, $100,000. We're not talking about Series A, 5 million, 10 million kind of amounts. It's just like seed funding to essentially start a business. Even though you're already five years into it, you were kind of pitching yeah. a, a fairly new startup. Now, when you were putting that together, was that the scrunch that was building the inventory management tool or was that a new vision for a new scrunch that you were telling investors about? Yeah, so it was essentially, it was... <laughs> It was something, again, that I don't recommend, but we'd, we'd not let go of the discovery platform or the inventory solution or we had to, and we had just started to look at media monitoring because it was kind of another thing that used the same technology that we had and could show the brands their social media posts, bloggers that had mentioned them online. So we were actually pitching this platform idea where we had three products essentially wow. yeah which was a very hard sell and yeah and I think through that process as well is where we kind of learned that we really needed to start to focus and really needed to understand our customers quick smart and to be honest I think we were pretty lucky to get investment I think that people invested because we're I don't know I think we're pretty charismatic people who can tell a good story and we, yeah, but I think if we tried to do that now in this market, there'd be no way people would invest mm. in this, you know, three different things that weren't making any money that had been around for like five years. I think people would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> so is this now the birth of Scrunch that we know today? Yes. So essentially what happens now is when we... We went all in on talking to customers. So we were we were showing them everything. And what we were trying to do is figure out what people would actually pay for. Um, and the biggest thing that surprised us was, so with the inventory dashboard, you could toggle and uh, basically see the article that the product had come from or the social media post that the product had come from. And that's kind of what blew everyone away. They were like, oh, hang on. They, this is very fashion industry mentality, don't care about selling products. They're like, oh, but you can tell me when Vogue talked about me online or that blogger talked about me online. I'm like, yes, why is everyone so interested in this media monitoring kind of idea? And we kept hearing the word influencer and blogger come up. And it was the same moment in history that I think the first social media influencer, they were bloggers back then, they weren't really influencers, or they weren't called that had started to like made a million dollars online. So I think the whole world was starting to sort of stand up and take notice of influencers and the type of power they might have on people's brands. And it was really, you know, interesting that I was a blogger mm. <laughs> years before that. Mm. And I thought, why didn't I put two and two together now? But we just went, hang on a second, we're really onto something. Not only do we have the technology and the experience and have learned all of the lessons. But we now have customers saying, what is this? We're really interested in it. And then the market forces were saying this influencer thing is going to be a big thing. So it was kind of a melting pot of five years of 
work and figuring it out and the market being right ready to take off that is when we we yeah pivoted one last time and threw everything in the bin and became the influencer marketing platform that everyone knows today what is that tell us what scrunch does today Sure. So Scrunch today is a global multi-channel influencer platform and team of experts. So what that basically means is we're a software platform that connects brands and agencies to over 20 million influencers globally. But our really, our value proposition is understanding audiences. So uh, essentially we've built the technology that can go out and follow an influencer's followers and determine all the key demographic data that you might want to know before reaching out to that brand, uh, to the influencer. So one of the big problems with influencer marketing is transparency and scale. So, you know, you see this shiny blogger on YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or whatever it might be and you think, wow, they've got all of these followers, their content looks great, but really being able to understand if they speak to an audience that you're interested in connecting with or paying for has kind of been a big roadblock for brands. And then the idea of scaling it. So, you know, that is a very time-intensive process of figuring that all out. And it's not like a Google ad or a social ad where you can really optimize it and spend a small amount and test copy and images and those types of things. You've got to pay the influencer to post before you know if it's going to work. So we're really interested in how we use data to de-risk that for brands so that they can, you know, really understand the audience that they're buying into first and be able to scale that long-term. But an interesting part of the story, where where the team of experts or this agency side of the business came from was that another lesson I learned was that software development takes a really long time. So I said, you know what, this time we are going to listen to our customers and we're going to do what they want manually. We're going to set it up like a SaaS business and get them to subscribe. We're actually going to, you know, Fred Flintstone, (laughs) run under the table and make everything work. And that was the best decision we ever made because what it allowed us to do was feel the pain of running an influencer campaign so that we could build software that solved those key problems for our customers because we essentially were the customer. So, yeah, that's – and then the team of experts, so that kind of agency or, you know, more manual side stuck around because then as we scaled and the software did all the work, our bigger enterprise customers didn't want to use a piece of software. They just wanted somebody to take all of the pain away from them and their internal teams. So we still service some pretty sizable customers on, on that side of the right. business, just using our own software to do the job. Uh, Danny, I love your story. It's like a, a textbook case of learn, try, <laughs> trying everything, making all the mistakes to reach the point where you do what works and, and make it work from, from trying to build software that no one wants to, you know, investing money to realize that, no, we should don't build anything. Let's try and just manually deliver it by hand and then build something around that need. Just for clarification, though, because I know there's some people listening to this who are finding maybe this idea of influencer marketing, what you do, a little bit confusing. Let's just say mm-hmm. I have a product I want to sell. I've got a, a lampshade and I'm thinking of yep. doing influencer marketing. How do I interact with Scrunch to sell more of my lampshades? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really, really great question because I think whilst we think influencer marketing is well-established, it is really new concept for a lot of different businesses and brands. So essentially the lampshade 
company would come to Scrunch and they would sign up and they would start searching our directory of influencers for a number of different keywords. So they might search for lampshades and find all the lampshade influencers or people talking about lampshades. So they might find interior in, interior designers or renovation people, um, people that are interested in kind of home. And that essentially would start shortlisting their influencer list. So the 20 million influencers on our platform would very quickly become, you know, a few thousand influencers. They might then think about their customers. So they may only ship their lampshades in the US. So they would filter the directory down by influencers who maybe live in the US and have an audience that's based in the US. Um, and then they may find that, you know, it's really a female buyer. So they then want to look at the audience that is female. So then they're going to have their top you know, 100 influencers for their lampshade brand and then they can dive into each one and have a look at their content, make sure that they seem like they're on brand for whatever aesthetic the lampshade brand is going for and then they can start to reach out to that influencer. So they've got all the analytics on the Scrunch platform, they've got all their contact details, they can start to reach out to that influencer and say, hey, I've found your profile and I'm really interested in connecting with you. I'd love to know, you know how much you charge for a post or to work with us or I'd love to send you a free lampshade and get you to review it. They can start the sort of broker ideal from there. So your platform gives me the analytics and the data behind the influencers and then I can then choose to direct message or email an influencer to set up a campaign. But you also have the agency side where you do the approach for people. Like if I had a budget, I, I sell lampshades, I've got $100,000 to spend on influencer marketing. Would I come to you and say, help me spend this? Yes, exactly right. So we would then, because that's the thing with influencer marketing is there are quite a lot of stakeholders and steps. So the reviewing the analytics is almost part one of the whole influencer marketing journey pipeline. So yes, that lampshade business could come to us and say, hey, I've got $100,000 to spend on the campaign. Can you help me sell more lampshades by finding the right influencers, reaching out, doing all the contract negotiations, you know, getting all the content together. And, and then of course, reporting at the end. So this front platform also does some campaign reporting so a brand can once they've got all of their posts live they can pop all of the urls to the influencer posts in and get all of the stats on those posts so we kind of provide so some of the analytics on the front end and then the analytics on the back end of the campaign awesome okay very clear in my head now i understand what scrunch does You've got the two sides, the research and the software tool, and then the sort of done for you agency service makes complete sense. Sounds very hip and cool for modern marketing right now, too. I have to say influencer marketing is probably the most modern format of online marketing available today since, you know, people have grown up with banner ads to pay per click advertising to now a, a very unique type of, I won't call it sponsored content because that almost seems to devalue it a little bit. Like I feel like it's way more organic than that where you've got custom campaigns built specifically for a certain influencer and it's almost like a form of media. So I think that's very cool. But we're running out of time, Danielle. I know you have to get off to another meeting. I'd love to kind of wrap this up with just maybe a couple of questions about entrepreneurship since you've, you've run the gamut with Scrunch. If there's a person listening into this who wants to take away the right way to start a startup, especially, you know, maybe in the kind of space or format that, that you've done, you know, software, platforms, networks, or even agencies. How would you do that today, given the current environment and what you've learned from everything that didn't work to what did work with Scrunch? 
Yeah, so my biggest takeaway, um, and if I ever started all over again, would really be around identifying a customer need and figuring out your revenue model first. So being able to actually sell something, whether you built it or not, or you, you deliver it manually, like the actual mechanics, you know, I think are secondary. It's really like, can you get somebody, can you get a customer to pay you to solve a problem? That's the biggest thing for us. You know, we raised capital and did go into debt and did spend the money, the savings and all that kind of stuff before we really understood that. And that just created this huge amount of pressure. And, you know, when you've got investors in, you know, investors are very, you know, everyone talks about it like it's a really sexy thing, but all it does is create pressure to perform, you know. So you are now beholden to shareholders and, and potentially a board, depending on how you structure things. And if you haven't figured out how to make a customer pay you to solve a problem, things get very stressful very quickly. You know, they want to see your company growing and scaling so that they can, you know, potentially exit one day. And if you're not delivering on that, you know, you start to do get a little bit clouded and stressed. And I think, yeah, so if you can kind of put that first, that would be my biggest piece of advice. Okay, nice. What does Scrunch look like today? It's you, your co-founder, and, and, and what do you do every day and how big is your team? Yeah, so there's 12 of us now in a little, uh, well, not so little office in uh, West End in Queensland. Awesome. And my old hood. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> yes, I love it. It's it's awesome. So right now it looks like we're really in a scale phase of our business. So we've got some amazing clients um, around the world like News Corp, Under Armour, Channel 9. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. But for us, um, actually Amazon as well. So we're in this amazing time of our business where it's all about scale and driving efficiencies inside of our own business. But for me, it is almost as crazy as it was on day one. Every day looks completely different. So, you know, I'm still very heavily involved in sales. We still do raise capital for the business. You know, it's all about, you know, keeping the team happy because our team are absolutely amazing. And I think people are like the make or break inside your business. So figuring out how to find amazing people and retain them is a new adventure for me. So yeah, every day is completely different and it's completely crazy and stressful as it was 10 years ago. <laughs> but you still love it, right, Danielle? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade it for the corporate career, let me tell you. Okay, that's great. Well, thank you for taking the time to share the 16 pivots that you did on the way to making Scrunch yeah. <laughs> work. <laughs> oh, of course. That's awesome. And I think it's great to, to demonstrate the resilience that you guys have as, as founders to find something that works in a market that you guys love. So keep up the good work. I wish Scrunch all the best. And uh, hopefully the listeners will feel inspired, even if something's not working, that the right model could be just a pivot away following that sound advice you said about finding the problem and making some money. So thank you very much, Danielle. No worries. Uh, happy to chat anytime. Thanks for having me. And it's scrunch.com, right? If they want to check out your work. Yes, that's the best place. Okay, that's, we'll put that with the links. Thanks everyone for listening in. We'll talk to you on a future episode very soon. Hey, this is Yarrow, and thanks for being a listener. Now, in this episode, if there was something you think could benefit a friend, a family member, a colleague, maybe an entrepreneur that you know, maybe it was something to do with getting traffic or launching a product or just coming up with an idea, 
make sure you send this episode to them. It could change the trajectory of their life, and I'd really appreciate the introduction to my show. Also, if you're not a subscriber, make sure you click that subscribe button, whether it's in Google or Apple or YouTube or Spotify, and you'll get my episodes as I release them. Thanks again for being a listener. Thanks for listening to Yarrow's podcast. For more episodes, visit yarrow.blog and subscribe on iTunes or Google.